This is a podcast of conversations about connection, change and creativity. And today we're joined by Ella Noah Bancroft. Ella is an Australian-born artist, storyteller, teacher, director and mentor. Ella is a poetic feminist, passionate about rewilding the world and the feminine force from the multifaceted lens of culture, heritage, gender, politics, identity and sexuality. I've been following Ella's journey for many years and I'm always in awe of her authenticity, integrity and unabashed honesty and advocacy. She is one inspiring person and I am so grateful to have her on the podcast today. Welcome, Ella. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, how are you? Good. I guess before we begin, I'll just do an acknowledgement, both of us, just to drop into the space. Um, I'd like to take a big breath in before I do this because I find it really helps. And just exhaling and landing. And I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land. I'd like to pay my respects to elders, both past and present. I'd like to pay my respects to my ancestors and the ancestors of all the audience who are listening. And I would like to pay my deepest gratitude to the earth and the land that holds us and provides so abundantly for us. Thank you for that. (sighs) So nice to feel grounded. In this space after like I guess when before you're preparing for a podcast it feels very um I know the energy feels like up in the air and everything's you know exciting um but it's nice to drop into the space so thank you yeah no worries so I guess we have so much to talk about when I was thinking about this podcast episode I was like maybe there's gonna have to be two parts because <laughs> there is just so much uh to talk about but I guess I wanted to talk I guess about identity and belonging and that being a theme that's come up for me quite a bit, um, looking at, you know, the different spaces that we belong to, the different identities that we feel um, resonate with us, shifting and changing. And, and yeah, I guess it's in alignment with, with what the podcast is all about, which is a lot about connection and change. And I wanted to know about your experience of oscillating between um, a few different contexts and a few different spaces. Yeah, I guess um, I definitely live between the worlds, you know. I feel it um, in my identifying, for those people who don't know, I, I come from um, an Indigenous heritage on my grandfather's side, but also I have Scottish and English um, running through my blood as well. So in that way, I really feel like I've been in the the space to create um, kind of bridges for that world, for my Indigenous community and for my non-Indigenous community. I then am also a, a, I identify as a a woman and I identify as a woman who sleeps with women. So also I have the heterosexual world and kind of my queer and, and gay world, which I also travel between. Yeah, I guess the way that my identity has unfolded has just really been an interesting space of polarity. And I'm also a Gemini. So I think like I was gifted that gift of being a Gemini and figuring out how to be multifaceted for the reason of the identity in which this body I'm kind of thrust into, if that makes sense. Definitely. And so what was that like, I guess, your journey of growing up in a space where, you know, I think we, for me, I'm, I'm Jewish and so I grew up culturally Jewish, but you know, philosophically don't identify in that way. Um, I identify as a woman, but, you know, looking at the different intersections of, of growing up in a small community and then broadening myself out. And there were def- definitely challenges with that. And I'm also come from an immigrant family. You know, we moved from South Africa when I was quite young. And so I never really felt belonging to the Australian landscape and I didn't feel like a belonging to the South African landscape as one identity and only recently have I felt a belonging to both and realizing Mm. that 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 dual nature exists within me and yeah I think that was really an important realization for me and my sense of belonging so what was your experience I guess growing up? So I literally lived between the worlds when I was younger. I, I was born in Sydney um, at a, in a house. My mum had a house birth with both me and my older brother. Um, but we were born in Sydney. And then at the age of five, she decided, okay, we're going to go bush. And like going bush wasn't like moving to a, a small country town. It was literally moving like 
to the middle of the rainforest, um, an hour away from any shop by drive, and very much thrust into the world of my Indigenous family. So I ended up um, at that age going to primary school. Uh, it was an Indigenous primary school. The entire population was Indigenous. In fact, most of them were my cousins. Um, we had a kindergarten to year three in one room and a year four to six in the other, and it was on a mission. And so for those who don't know, a mission is similar to a reservation. There are places where they would, um, the missionaries who came over during colonization would set up these spaces and Aboriginal people would have to move onto that space and they, they had housing and things like that. But um, it's not an incredibly conducive environment for living I guess because it's this in-between halfway house world where indigenous people are taken out of their natural environment and put into the the western ways but still completely uh, isolated from the rest of the community so at a young age I was really it really I was really in the thick of indigenous Australia and that was in northern New South Wales where my family's from and I got a really deep understanding of what it meant to be an Indigenous person at that time. It would have been the early 90s um, when I was there. And then after a few years, um, my brother had to go to high school and the schooling systems are not, there's not, there's not infrastructure out there basically. So there's not any, there's no high school. Um, and education was really important to my mom and to my family as my grandfather was denied education and most Aboriginal people his age were. So um, we ended up moving back to Sydney and then again, you know, thrust into the throes of the big city living in the inner West there um, really shaped me. That experience really shaped me. It made me even, if I didn't know it then or even in my high school years, it it connected me to country in a way that on a cellular level has been something that's really come through in my adult life. It's connected me to my spirituality more than I could ever know and um, really made me kind of the the advocate that I am for for being in nature because of that experience that I had when I was younger and and made me an advocate for Indigenous issues, you know, because it's really, I think that experience is, is really different from being an Indigenous community in the city. Um, it's, it's a really fractured experience. It's a really, like, saddening experience to be out in, in, in isolated communities in that space and just really recognise, like, how fractured Indigenous culture has become because of colonization and then how hidden it is as well and I think that's the most important thing is that there's no light given to these people they're put so far away mm. you know um yeah and so I think as I've gotten older that's really made an impact on the person that I want to be the work that I want to be doing and how I can kind of move between the worlds as a as a solid leader and role model beautiful I did a Indigenous trauma training workshop, a week workshop recently um, through Berry Street and VACA. And I think like 70% of the workshop had Indigenous people giving voice to their experiences and uh, talking about the art of storytelling as a healing process. And, um, and also, you know, growing up in such a fragmented society where, you know, our Indigenous culture is not celebrated in the way that we can acknowledge from a place of real acknowledgement of pain as well, tied up into that narrative. And I think that, yeah, I think the art of storytelling in, in many cultures around the world is so important and it's, it's becoming quite lost. So I think I wanted to talk to you about, I guess, the, the art of storytelling as, as a, a feminine force and something that I think has become quite a lost art and then and looking at that through a cultural lens as well. Yeah, I guess that being one of the most significant things that all of my family have ever said to me on my Indigenous side is that oral communication has and always will be the most powerful thing for Indigenous people to be able to pass on their knowledge. Um, I think the reality of storytelling, like everything, is that it's a building of experiences and it's the information which we gather that we think will benefit the next generations. Um, it doesn't feel self-serving, 
like maybe some other way of writing your story. It's more about the collective good and and kind of passing on those yeah way, ways of living. I guess that's really what it's about. Um, in Indigenous culture, we follow laws, so it's L O R E, and they're kind of things based in with what your totem is, um, stories around our connection to earth and land in a way where those things are living and vibrant. Plants and rocks and trees and animals, are, they're all just as part of us as, you know, our family who are human beings. So that's a really powerful space I think we need to move back into. But also I think as we are advancing, and I say that with quotations, as a society, with technology, what we're finding is people are becoming more removed from face-to-face contact um, of conversation. And the reality is when you sit next to somebody and you get to have that experience of them downloading or giving you information, you're going to take away on a cellular level that experience more than you could ever do by listening to you know, a radio or listening to a television show or even talking you know, to our friends via Skype and the irony in this as we do this over a a Zoom. But, you know, I think that's something we need to start to discover is how we can integrate this space back into our life. And that looks like not just connecting with our friends via Instagram and on Facebook, but actually taking the time to go and sit with them, to talk with them, you know, because I honestly believe a lot of the problems in society have got to do with disconnect. And once we reclaim the art of storytelling, we also are going to reclaim the art of connection. And that is something that is going to be better for our beings. You know, it's scientifically proven that people that live in communities of connection around the world live longer because they have a place, they have a purpose, they feel seen, they're connected with other beings. And if you look at us as energy beings as well, we're constantly giving and taking from each other. When we're living just as our single cell organism, we're constantly being depleted from our energy. You know, and we really need to look at that space, I think, more significantly in our day-to-day practices. Mm, That really resonates with me. And I think in the previous podcast with Ruth, we were talking about how disconnected we've become, you know, as I I guess a Western culture of, of just living in like these tiny little boxed houses and our families, the people that are immediately directly related to us and we shut off to the world. And, and so, you know, we're, we're lacking in this community and I'm certainly feeling that tenfold and looking at ways to kind of reconnect, reconnect to earth, reconnect to each other. And how do we step away from this, you know, celebration of individuality, which is beautiful in one aspect, but also looking at the collective and how can we celebrate yeah, us as a collective? Because I think for me, the way I view spiritually myself and the world is that we're all just one unified force we're all one source energy experiencing itself and you need the polarity and you need the individuality and the multifaceted nature for something to experience itself and to understand and learn and grow but in essence we're all one unified energy and so how can we return back to that place and be able to I guess raise the next generation to go back to those roots of connection and I know that you're running conferences in Byron so maybe you can talk a little bit about yeah what that experience is like yeah I mean the first thing that comes to my head is you're you're talking about this idea of how we we come back to that connection space is is women um and then obviously the link to the conferences I run um here is an all is all women event. I'm a big believer in the fact that women are the backbone of our society and cultures all over the world. Women, you know, they are the medicine makers, they are the storytellers, they are the counselors, you know, they are the nurturers, they're the raisers. They really understand what it means to and and I'd like to um be gentle in this space because I, I understand that is a bit of like, you know, resistance around this, but holding a household for example you know when when feminism came in in the in the 60s and and all of that happened and it was the idea to get out of the house and that women stopped um you know maintaining that space and spending time cooking and um looking after the food that was then going into their children you actually see a significant rise in um diseases 15 years after this um around well, I'm looking at America, but I'm sure it translates to Australia too, um, because suddenly we're giving away our power as women to be able to look after our children. We had first and foremost 
gotten the power taken away from us by the patriarchy under the concept of marriage. Um, and And I think the biggest problem that occurred was that women were separated from each other. You know, put a white picket fence around them, tell them live in a nuclear family, of course there's going to be an uproar. Now, if you were to come to me and say, hey, there's a big house here full of women, women, you can all have children, you can cook together, you can grow a garden together, you can, you know, like create a little life here, and men are still very present in that space, but I would, I would jump at that opportunity to be around women, cooking with them, talking with them, you know, like I'm an incredibly social person, but that, that also feels intrinsically right. Now, if you were to tell me go into this kitchen and cook for six hours a day and clean a house, that would make me feel like a servant. You know, so I think we need to understand structurally that when you separate women from each other, you're, you're creating the work to be harder for them, you know, like women. And also I use this term, like in terms of women who are identifying with this space and what feels right for them as women, but but that's very true. And in indigenous culture, that, that's a reason why we have women's business and men's business is because this is the point where we can connect. We've had a lot of uh, uh, dislocation between women being pinned up against each other um, in a competitive stance or being told that they need to put the pants on, not being seen as equal to a man in the fact that maybe staying at home and cooking dinner and cleaning a house and hanging out with other women is more important than going and being the breadwinner. And I think that not being seen in that space has done so much disservice to our society and our ability for the women around the world to collectively be together in their strengths. And to be honest, we as women have lost a lot of our magic because of that, because we've, we've, given over our way to say, you know, something as simple as cooking. For me, cooking is, is creating medicine. And I truly believe that. I truly believe that what we put into our fridges and then give to our children is going to have a huge effect on their well-being. And, you know, that's the essential backbone of the family unit is health. Yeah. And I think it also comes back to, you know, looking for balance and equilibrium. And if we're looking at, you know, masculine and feminine energies that they exist within everyone you know men women gender non-identifying we all have dualistic energies and Mm -hmm. the world needs polarity they need both they need balance and equilibrium and I think as women you know after that feminist movement you know we wanted to kind of have equal rights and you know be treated equally but in order to gain back that sort of power that was taken away from us, we had to step into a masculine energy and, and you know, be someone that was practical and demanded that and went out and kind of got what we were after and made it happen, which is quite a masculine energy. But we also mm-hmm. shut off our feminine in that process. And I think that finding a way to cultivate that connection with your feminine again and and you're right, like it's it's a disconnect, you know. If we're not connecting with other women, how do we then manifest and cultivate that energy again? How do we know what feminine energy is until we flow with a woman, until we sit? And you're right, cooking is a huge part of feminine energy. It's creation. It's, it's you know, the erotic mother. It's that womb energy. And we're all creating from that space as women. And so if you can put them together, how how powerful that energy then rises to be and it's not to say that we we don't need a masculine energy it's just how do we rebalance ourselves in that way because I think we've moved into a society in western culture where yeah we're lacking we've we've really repressed our feminine yeah I totally agree we don't want to go back to keeping women in a space that like you said that is a prison for them but it's about empowering choice in that how do I want to express my femininity how do I want to express you know my power as a feminine energy and where what space do I want to bring that to because we should be able to bring that space into a, a, a workplace too totally and I actually feel like women in our society are 
we actually have a, um, I guess we're ahead of the game in, in a way that we've been through these waves of stepping into the masculine energy quite heavily. And when you look and reflect upon males, presenting males who present themselves as males, they haven't had these, you know, emotional cathartic moments of stepping into the feminine and going through that situation in our societies and historical points of, you know, having to discover what that means for themselves as a collective. And we've had that. And now we're starting to realize, I think, female collective and this whole idea around female uprising is that it's not necessarily about women taking power. That's not what we're we're in this space to do. It's that we've gone so, the pendulum has swung so far into the masculine domain. You know, all these incredibly powerful, amazing women are now getting adrenal fatigue and problems with thyroid issues because they're not stopping to pause. And so now we're going into the collective element of like self-care. What does that look like? You know, and all of my sisters around me are like taking time and, you know, not going out to social events and slowing down. And we are really supportive of each other doing that rather than being like, no, you should come. This is about, I'm, I'm starting to feel a real held, really held by women around me when I do step into this. I know I had a plan to come and see you tonight, but I'm actually just feeling like I need to like chill, be with my womb, like sit and like journal, you know? And then another woman's like, oh yeah, I hear you sister. And I think the conversation piece around menstruating and also women tracking their cycles has been a really prominent and powerful thing for us also to step into our femininity in that space. And I do realize that not all women women bleed and I also realize that women who don't identify as women bleed as well but I'm just talking in the in the scale of um I guess the majority Mm. and the power in that as a connector so for you know thousands and thousands of years you know if we look back to you know the beginning of culture when we lived in a matriarchal society and and how powerful that was as a space to come together when we were all menstruating and it was in, you know, attunement with the moon cycles. And is that, Mm -hmm. you know, a time for reflection, creation and looking at, you know, coming back to that space. And, and I guess it's also about permission, you know, when I honor myself as my feminine and I say, okay, great. Hey, I know I was meant to see you tonight, but I'm really honoring that I'm actually, you know, I'm menstruating tonight and I'm feeling like I really need to drop into my own space and slow down. And someone else saying, cool, you've given yourself permission. I feel like I can give myself permission. And, and this kind Mm. of ripple effect of, you know, when we speak more about things that we've had to suppress like menstruation, like, you know, anything around perinatal health and, you know, having miscarriages and and having stillbirth and having perinatal depression and anxiety and and all these kind of, you know, issues that we face, um, being able to give voice to it, there's a huge I guess, uh, space for empowerment and, and connection. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I'd be the first to say that, like, you know, I am an advocate for bringing taboo conversations to the dinner table. And I'm also an advocate for bringing them up with strangers or on my social media platform or anything like that. I think, I think like taboo is, is, is contained in the idea of shame, you know, and this concept that like, oh no, I, I shouldn't do this or I can't do that. And what you're doing when you're doing that is actually you're, you're shaming a part of yourself. You're shaming something that is actually really true to you. And then therefore you're not in your truth, you know? So I feel like, yeah, anything that's taboo, bring it on. I'm willing to talk about it. I'll talk about it on stage. I'll talk about it with a stranger. I'll talk about it wherever I am, you know, to the checkout lady, whatever. Which is what I think I love about the presence that you bring, whether it's, you know, in spaces that I, you know, can see you at a festival or whatever, but you're also bringing them to your online space and you're actually bringing that authenticity and that truth to every space that you enter. And I guess for the for people who are not as confident and who are still kind of navigating this space and getting to a point where they are maybe not in such a supportive environment, you know, maybe they're removed. And so how, I guess, would you encourage people to start that self journey of kind of undoing that shame and, and looking at kind of creative ways for healing that space? And then being able to take that out and create more dialogue around that. So the strongest thing that I lead by in my life, I guess, like my my mini mantra is um, to not care 
what people think as long as I am living with my heart open and in a state of integrity. And so what I mean by that is that our society constructs us so much to always care what other people are thinking about us, the way that they view us. And this just gets us in our head. It also doesn't get us into a space of like being able to come from full alignment because we're worried about what other people's alignments are. Uh, I just live by this practice because I've, I found my integrity. I know what my truth is. And I understand that I'm, I'm always coming to a space with my ability to want to help myself grow, but others grow, but essentially it's with love. Love is where I first and foremost come to a space in whatever it is. And I, I then just don't care what people think of me because that, that's my truth. And if people don't like my truth, they can choose to not be around me or, or they can choose to bring up a debate with me. And I'm also really happy to learn from other people and, and, and develop dialogues on how I can, um, you know, grow as an individual. But at this very point in time, this is my truth. So this is what I will speak and that's how I will speak to it. And I think like once we start to kind of dissolve this idea that we need to care what other people think of us and it's becoming even more highlighted with social media and the way that we project out even our stories and say that I'm like a total advocate of that like I'm not posting myself as a get out of bed straight away um, but I am trying to bring topics and conversations that that are true to me you know and that's all we can ever do is really like lead with our own experiences and yeah, I just find I I lived that life of being, um, of caring what people thought of, of me. And it actually led me to live a super inauthentic life. It actually led me to, to lie a lot because I wanted people to like me because I wanted to have a identity and this character that people thought were charismatic, like had charisma or, you know, all of this idea of just like, I need to be loved and I want to be loved until I realized like, well, actually I just need to love myself. And I mean, that was a big journey. It wasn't like I just woke up one day, but being called out on a lot of stuff, I'm, I'm really happy that I had friends and amazing female women around me to mentor me, to call me out on stuff that then put me into alignment. And then this kind of mantra just has stuck with me. And that's really, that's how I relate to everyone. It's how I even relate to my mother you know, and, and it's great because when I get into any situation of conflict, it's like, whoa, no, there's just, that's just a miscommunication. Like I'm leading with my heart, with full integrity, authenticity and love for you, you know, but I'm just doing it my way. And I think, I think that's really like how, how I best navigate life and what I would tell anybody who wants to navigate their life more authentically. Mm. And I think it's also about forgiveness. You know, we talk about this, this shame component, mm. you know, and, and forgiveness for ourselves. So, you know, we're evolving people. That is our journey as, as, as a human being, having a human experience, we, we don't, you know, navigate through life knowing everything we're, we're taking on generational trauma we're taking on societal you know um, pressure and conditioning and I think our journey is less about um, taking on more stuff and 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 picking things to identify with and more appealing back of layers of of, mm. of peeling back the layers that have kind of been put on us externally and saying like how can I connect more to myself and to my truth and to know what's right for me what is truth for me like when I sit and I close my eyes at night and I am really alone in that space how do I want to feel who who do I want to be like what is my highest self and my highest purpose and and that's like a, a journey I think that will continue to go on and and will continue to evolve you know who I am today and the beliefs and deals that I have today and what is authentic for me right now in this moment may change based on for my sure. knowledge that I gain based on you know um yeah when we speak about talking from our truth right it doesn't have to be someone else's truth I might actually learn from your truth and then understand it better and integrate it into my own truth. You know, there's always a space for growth and for learning and for expansion in that way. And I think the hardest part is really finding that deep self-connection and undoing those layers of shame and pain and, 
and hurt that we that we carry with us. Yeah, and a forgiveness for ourselves for wishing we were any other way other than who we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love that point on forgiveness. Yeah. Um, I actually, one of my friends has got like a grandparents that have been together for something like 69 years or just like, you know, a significant amount of time, like the kind of number where you're like, what? Like, wow, a four-year relationship seems like forever yeah. for me. <laughs> but <laughs> I asked them one day, like, what? Well, actually, I asked the woman, I said, you know, what's the key to your success? Like, how have you guys been together for this extended period of time? And she just looked at me and she said, continual forgiveness. You know, if you want to make a relationship work, and I think what you're saying here is a relationship with yourself or the other, you have to continuously forgive. If you actually want that person to be in your life, because we need to realize that we're going to make mistakes as individuals. The people around us are going to make mistakes as individuals. And in determining who we forgive will determine if they stay in our lives, you know, and proper forgiveness too, you know, on the on the level of being like, yeah, actually, I totally understand. I really get it. And I think with forgiveness comes accountability, right? It is, you know, when we talk about accountability and responsibility, responsibility is the ability to respond to something that is in our external world. So how we've behaved or how we behave to ourselves, you know, and looking at how to hold ourselves accountable to say like, wow, I really hurt you in that experience and I'm so sorry. Uh, Or I really hurt myself in that experience by not honoring or giving space to that. And I'm so sorry. And in that we can forgive because we've taken accountability and that's on a collective level and on an individual level. And then when we're talking about relationships and relating, I think that also has to do with a level of flexibility you know and fluidity and knowing that no one is gonna be this concept of perfect you know no like if you have an expectation that a person is going to remain the same way or do the right thing all the time or you know you're gonna have an awful time trying to navigate that space but if you can meet someone with um I guess a level of fluidity and flexibility and honoring someone else's growth and saying like hey I totally see you and I see your evolution and your growth and I forgive you I forgive myself we're all growing we're all learning and and that way I think kind of lessen the fire and the flame of conflict and create a space mm-hmm. for healing in that way mm-hmm. and and I think that's really important when when we talk about forgiveness as well it's not letting your boundaries fall and it's not just let, allowing people to stamp all over you but it is that that accountability okay I do forgive you and I do realize that maybe we haven't had this conversation around what my morals are what my integrity is and now this will open up a really beautiful conversation for us to go there so this won't happen in the future or even if that's just a conversation piece you have to yourself to forgive definitely and I think for me boundaries is a huge topic for me I last year I you know was all about owning my truth and 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 really putting it out there but it was one thing to speak my truth it was another thing to set boundaries around that truth and not just let people know how I feel and what my truth is but to actually say hey these are my boundaries and I'm going to honor them for myself and I'm I'm going to expect that you honor them too. And when you don't, I'm going to hold you accountable to that. And that is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so this year has been all about boundaries <laughs> completely. And I think as, you know, as a community, we can help each other in that just by creating open communication to say like hey you crossed a boundary of mine and I totally am not going to jump on you and and this is not going to be something that I'm going to hold you as like I want to know your intention behind it first you know did you intend was I not clear what's my responsibility what's your responsibility and then how can we create a space where you're accountable and now you know my boundary and I'm accountable. I remind myself it's not not only about speaking my truth, but holding myself accountable to set that boundary. And that way we can hold space for each other in a really positive um, and I guess nurturing way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think all relationships that succeed come down to communication, but it's also navigating the right language with people. And uh, like the boundary thing's amazing. Me, me and my mom um, have a very, very close relationship. Um, and you know, we've developed a dialogue as we both have gotten older that looks really similar around that. Like she will come to me and say, hey, 
this is my boundary with this space. And the other day I got really triggered, you know, and I've just introduced these words into her, her vocabulary so that it comes from not a reactive place where we, you know, react out and then end up hurting each other because neither of us want to hurt each other, but that we can clearly communicate like how we can best love each other, I guess, is what we're really trying to do. And that's, that's been like so amazing to not only like be involved in a relationship like that with somebody who I honor and is such an amazing role model for me, but also is so close to me that, you know, obviously our family is our bigger trigger, trigger, triggers point, trigger points. But yeah, it's been, it's been really amazing to do that. And I really recommend people develop vocabularies with people that is the same wording and understanding. And even if triggers and boundaries that, that those words don't resonate with you, find your own language, you know, but make sure that the person that you're communicating with understands the language, the language, because that's the most important thing. Definitely. And I guess that comes back to, you know, languages of love and how, you know, different people have different languages of love the way that we express mm. love and the way that we want to receive it. And that's often based on, you know, how we've grown up and how we've learned to love and how we've been shown love. Um, and also, yeah, I guess it's about communication, understanding what is your love language? What is my love language? And how can we meet in the middle to understand each other and, you know, see each other and love each other from that space and know that, yeah, it comes back to intention. You know, it wasn't my intention to to hurt you or to whatever, but I totally understand how that could have happened because it was a miscommunication on that part. It's a, yeah. That's a great book, by the way, for those people who don't know. It's actually an amazing book and it transformed one of my relationships that I recently had because we read it together. And I was like, oh, wow, like that's who you are, you know? And, and so funny because often in these communication spaces, especially with the ones that we take on as our lovers, we have such a different expectation from, for them than our friends. And this book, wow, it just like opened up so much with us and made us like more in tune, more in love, like more capable of understanding and, and more able to show up as a good lover also. Yeah, because when you know how someone's going to receive your love, you can then, yeah, adapt and, and, and change in order to facilitate that deeper connection. And it's not about changing who you are, but it's it's we're constantly changing our behavior we're constantly adapting it's the most beautiful thing we can do as humans animals do it you know nature does it depending on the weather like we're adaptive and so I think it's important to bring that to every space um, that fluidity and flexibility to be able to yeah and knowledge is knowledge is a huge power I guess and so when you're reading do you have any other book recommend I'm a huge um yes yeah. yes come I on have let's, so many but yeah. I'll tell I'll tell you my absolute Number one for every single woman listening is um, The Woman Code. Have you read it? No. Okay. Love a new All book right. recommendation. Yeah. This book, it really significantly changed um, my life. It's it, it significantly changed the way that I saw my body as a woman as well. It's very in-depth about the menstruation cycle, but it's it's kind of like running, um, Women That Run With Wolves is kind of like the mythology, like Bible that every woman should have. This is like the practical Bible that every woman should have around how to regulate hormones, um, how to do little kind of like experiments with your diet, but also meditation techniques, how to tap in. It's just really well all-rounded, like um, amazing, amazing. I couldn't recommend it more. I, they give you even, uh, or the lady, the author, Alyssa, she gives you a uh, like food that you can eat during your lunial or during your menstruation or during your ovulation that will help to balance your hormones. Because often during times of like PMS or um, tension with our um, uterus or in that space, it's because we're not eating or getting the right nutrients from the food that we're actually putting in our body, which puts uh, stress on, on, on us and creates pain. So I recommend this to every single one of my girlfriends. I recommend it as like, if you're starting a book club, this is the first book you should pick up. Like don't even go to the library, order it online or get it from a bookstore because it's one of those books also that you should just have on your shelf. Mm. 
Amazing. Okay. I'm like, this is exactly what I'll do after this podcast because yeah, I'm a, a women who run with wolves is on my shelf. It's next to my bed. I'm picking it up over years and years and years, you know, just like picking up little bits and pieces. And that's a beautiful way to look at the art of storytelling and lineage and culture. And, but you're right. There's not a lot of practical resources out there. And I think for, for me, like another thing that's come up for me recently is, is, um, getting hormonal acne every site like you know every ovulation cycle every menstrual cycle I'm and and looking at how to balance out my hormones naturally you know where I was on the pill for many years and and came off it and because I didn't feel in tune with my body and it was just not aligning with me anymore and I went on it originally to treat acne and didn't realize because I didn't have the resources or other women around me saying hey like no like maybe you can try something else um and diet is a huge thing and eating you know fruit and vegetables and food that is in season and part of your land and where you're you know where you're from and and based on climate is always good because it's in alignment with what your body's doing naturally as well and so um I guess yeah Thank you for the recommendation because that's, yeah, again, knowledge is power. It changed my life. Changed my life. Amazing. So I know that you've also been in the sexuality space um, and we were talking before about a friend of mine who went to uh, a tantric workshop and felt that it wasn't um, entirely an inclusive space, especially for the LGBTQI uh, community. Um, so I wanted to know how you're navigating through that space and, and what you're, yeah, what you're creating. So, um, I'm, I, yeah, the sexuality space, I guess, um, in terms of practicing, um, I, I, I would say I have practiced and studied Tantra mostly as my predominant, um, uh, form, uh, about four and a half years ago, I, I, stumbled upon a um, Tantra workshop in the middle of Guatemala and did this full day and fell in love. You know, I was um, at that stage in my life, probably, you know, mid-20s and a little bit dislocated and disconnected from not only myself, but just, you know, my community and and all of that sort of things. And I, I, I was the first time I dropped into a space and actually I did a lot of the exercises by myself because I... Um, didn't feel comfortable being partnered with a man. And I did find, well, this is incredibly heteronormative, but I'm also traveling Central America and, you know, whatever, and that's my life. And I'm often flowing heteronormative spaces. So um, I did it. And as I was, I was doing it, I was doing a lot of the work with myself. And that's really why I fell in love with it. Because I realized that all of these exercises that they were teaching us in the in the two component, I could actually do in my own body just with myself. And so as I started to go and, and dive down this path and I collected teachers along the way and I studied in Melbourne and I did some study in California and India and, you know, came to Byron eventually and ended up getting my practitioner training and my certificate. Um, but the one thing that I've always had such a resistance to as I've gone in and out of this um, journey is is the heteronormative uh structures behind it you know even in the big tantra schools which i i wanted to go and learn from um it was it was just so it was very strongly at the core of their institutions about how heteronormative it was and you know also it was often ran by a man who um you know was the head honcho and then kind of filtering um, all of his, I think, probably ideals onto what Tantra is. Now, for anybody that actually understands the idea of Tantra, it's, it's, it's based in, in duality. It's based in energies dancing together. And in fact, if you're in a heteronormative um, relationship, the male can take on the feminine energy and the female could take on the masculine energy and you could play with what that feels like. And that, that really like sparked something inside of me, which was, well, if, a man can take on the feminine and a woman can take on the masculine, then in the same sex couple, couple, why can that not happen also? And why then do we not have this kind of conversation around the, the fact that there isn't uh, 
there isn't a quality in this space. Um, a few times I have kind of just gotten so frustrated with sexuality, conscious sexuality groups in general that I've, you know, really wanted to remove myself just because I find like, wow, this is, this is supposed to be conscious sexuality and we're not even recognizing on a level that's so superficial what we're projecting and, the not, and how exclusive it is. So I guess I, I took the task on of just, yeah, being and presenting myself as a, as a, a, a lesbian who um, works with women but works with same-sex couples as well because I, I think conscious sexuality is really important. I think it's really important whether you sleep with the same sex or whether you sleep with um, the opposite sex. And the fact that a whole group of people are missing this ability to have um, the teachings passed on to them because it's not in their language and it doesn't resonate with them is it seems really unjust to me. Um, so I guess that's the space that I'm coming from. I'm coming from the space that I wanted it when I was searching from, for it and I couldn't find it. Um, there are obviously sexuality coaches and relationship coaches out there that are bisexual and also presenting as lesbians. But yeah, in this space, I'm I'm just trying to do what I would like to have presented to me if I was a student. And I am a student, but, you know, as, as somebody who's collected information over the last um, four years, I just want to be able to impart that wisdom and also make people feel, like, totally comfortable in those spaces. And that feels really important too, you know. I have a few tantra festivals across the world that only up until a few years ago they stopped putting you know only for heterosexual couples and their posters you know like that's really crazy in this day and age that that would still be something that we would have to write and coming under a structure of con conscious sexuality I mean like to me you're not conscious if you're writing something like that that's just coming from the most basic immature masculine that you possibly could um excluding people it's just not yeah just and not I think conscious. it's also looking at gender and sexuality as the same thing and they're not like you know and and also again it comes back to understanding that you know especially in tantra and you know a lot of the books that I've read talk in a gendered way and it's not you know relevant it, it's an energetic thing it, it's a masculine and feminine energy that then you know you house in whatever body you identify with but those energies are dualistic and they will exist in you know in you no matter what you identify with even if you're gender non-identifying and so that flow can happen whether you're in a relationship whether you're relating to a friend and that um I guess tantra and that energy is an erotic energy that exists within you all the time whenever you want to cultivate it with whatever context you want to cultivate it in whether you're sitting there meditating or you're doing yoga or you're out in nature and just digging your feet into the earth or feeling the wind like that's I guess always going to be an inclusive space so why then when we get into these kind of workshop areas do we narrow things down so much totally and if you look at if you look at anciently the difference between what yoga and tantra is so the yogis were were created first but the tantrics were kind of a subpart to this and um, basically yoga is the idea of the individual it's the idea of the self and it's completely self-contained within the body and that space tantra is actually connecting with the environment people plants and things around you and on a really basic level that's the difference between the two tantra is about connection with the outside world and yoga is about connecting with the internal world you know so even aside from the sexuality space yoga is just about connecting it's about teaching us how to live a path and a way that we can constantly connect with people, plants and, and our environment around us, which I think is really important because when I talk to people about Tantra, there's this automatic assumption that it's like, oh, Kama Sutra and super sexy mm. and orgies and, you know, all of this stuff, which is definitely a component because it's connection. But on a broader level, it's bigger than that. And, and I think that's also something that, um, isn't often highlighted when when people are talking about tantra because it's just assumed under the sexuality space. Yeah, and I think that goes back into you know stereotypes of culture, um, you know, and just like you hear these buzzwords, and so it's about your association. 
Um, and I know that before we started recording the podcast, we spoke about, I guess, um, a level of, you know, cognitive dissonance um, between cultural awareness and um, and cultural appropriation. And I know this has been something that you've written about quite recently. Um, and so, yeah, I'm wondering if you can talk to that uh, coming from a space where uh, your cultural identity is a huge part of your creation and then relating to mm-hmm. another culture as well. Yeah, actually, I'm um, recently... I'd say the last 72 hours have just been going through this interesting internal battle with how I actually want to present myself in that space and specific to being a Tantra teacher um, with cultural appropriation. So I, I don't have lineage that tie me back to India, but I feel really connected to a practice of teaching people how to connect because of my indigenous lineage. And so I'm kind of faced with this idea of, do I not use that word Tantra because is that a really am I just a walking contradiction basically is what I'm trying to figure out and whether it's more realistic for me to say that I am you know a connection coach and sex and relationship coach um and coming from that space so I think I think especially like I can notice that that tantra is a buzzword and I and and I've just kind of like used it because that's the modalities in which I've been taught but I really want to walk my talk and be super in line with my integrity and my truth. And I don't want to be talking about cultural appropriation if I'm then on the second hand presenting myself as a, as a tantra teacher. So I'm kind of going through this new, you know, um, uh, I'd say like shedding layers and coming out the other end, whether I'm, you know, getting rid of my cocoon and becoming the butterfly or something. But, you know, I, I recognize where I make mistakes and going back to that thing that we we're talking about with forgiveness and yeah, making a mistake in that space or maybe presenting myself in this way. But I'm learning on this journey how to properly craft myself into the being that I want to be. So that's kind of currently where I'm at. And um, cultural appropriation is really a really big part of my life um I also am super triggered by it I grew up with an an indigenous mother who is a painter and you know in the painting world in the art world um cultural appropriation of indigenous work is really rife and I I recently wrote an article on this because I think it's it's the thing with cultural appropriation and what I why I get so fired up is that it's sacred, you know, it's a really sacred space to be able to paint a story that's attached to your culture, to be able to give a ceremony that's attached to your lineage. But not only is it sacred, but if you choose to walk into another culture and learn their laws or ways of doing ceremony, and then you take that away and present yourself as a teacher, you're presenting yourself as a teacher of that lineage, which is super inauthentic, but you're also taking away an opportunity for somebody in that lineage to step up and be the teacher. And I think that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing in creating the inequality, in the gap, in everything is that we're not giving the empowerment back to those people who have taught us. We're not giving them the opportunity to be the leaders and the teachers. We're just taking that and we want to be seen as the teachers and leaders. Now, if you're of your integrity and I think like in on a spiritual path and considering that you're saying that you're a teacher um, of somebody else's lineage, then I think that you're maybe a little bit misguided. And um, I'm super happy for people to get in contact with me and have long discussions and debates around this. Like I, I recently got told that I, um, that basically like cultural appropriation shouldn't exist in the world because that's just um, dividing us. And I'm like, well, it's not dividing us. It's actually paying homage you know, it's paying homage to our ancestors and, and, and allowing other people and inviting other people to go and find lineage. Like we all have the ability to trace back our steps to indigenous um, uh ceremonies and rituals if you come from Ireland or Scotland or you know any England like there is lots of rich culture if you dig deep and go back so why don't you go there and undiscover that stuff and present that and bring that because that's your that's your treasure and that's also the key to your stories to connecting to your ancestors you know don't 
don't necessarily go to Peru and, you know, take from the Peruvians because do you see the disparity in which it, it can create? And that's really what I think I'd like to get across is that point of that it's just, it's just creating more inequality. And it's not empowering the people that deserve to be empowered. I agree. And I, I also think it's a, it comes back to intention. You know, if our intention is to um, help raise awareness, beautiful, because awareness is connection. But, you know, the best teachers are going to be the ones that really hold that space because it's experience, right? Like experiential learning is the most powerful learning we can have. And if that has been your experience, because we're not just talking about this lifetime experience, we're talking about, you know, if trauma can be traced back seven generations, then so can beautiful, you know, connective work that we do and learning and healing and, um, expression right that that also is traced back and so we all have gifts right through that and you're right we can go and find the access to them and it's not to say you shouldn't um, practice something that you've learned but there is I think a difference between doing something as a practice that you've that someone from that culture from that heritage has brought to you and said hey I want to teach you you can use this it might be beneficial for you and then owning it as something that you then go out and teach and say, you know, and I also think that you can teach, but teach in a way that's saying, hey, this is something that's benefited me, but I urge you to go and learn from someone as well that holds that space because they've experienced it. Yeah, it's a it's a very, it's definitely like a, a fine edge, you know, it's such yeah. a tricky space to be in. And I think... I think what comes about a lot is just the monetary exchange for for sharing in that space, you know, and that like, yeah, I agree with you, like meditation and yoga and that makes those things part of your practice. And if you want to drink cacao, that's fine. You don't need to come from the Mayan lineage to drink cacao, but it, to stand up and give a cacao ceremony and to call it a ceremony. If you were just to say, hey, come over, let's drink a cacao and have a cacao celebration you know even just the language is mm. like the language is the cultural appropriation because the ceremony is embedded in the fact that you have a lineage because you're passing that ceremony down. totally do a cacao ceremony I love chocolate I'm <laughs> super into cacao I want to celebrate with it you know but but really being fine-tuned into the language that we're using when we're presenting something as a monetary exchange and I think also it's important to highlight why why are people seeking this these kinds of ceremonies when you know it seems like there's like a lot of um like almost shame around being white you know, or having white blood, I think, especially in spiritual communities, there's this big, heavy burden and shame. And I think really how we lift that shame is to empower our, you, you know, um, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what to call them, more European or, or um, white presenting people, empower them with their own ceremonies and what that ceremonial space looks like for their ancestry and bring that forth because I, I want to know more about that as well, you know. Yeah. And relating to each other as people and saying like, whatever your strength is, you know, go out and find it. Whatever your truth is, go out and find it. And, you know, in the previous podcast with Ruth, she's like, you can pick and choose from every different little space that you learn from. But what you're going to do well is one thing. Pick one thing mm -hmm. that is true for you and do that well, because when you do that, you're going to bring about, you know, you're going to bring about change in the world and create awareness for whatever it is. And there's no shame in that. And, you know, you can feel spiritual because we are, we're all spiritual beings. We've all got this unified energetic force. It's different expressions and like own the expression Absolutely. that is true for you. Um, so I guess we're, we're, we're on just over an hour but I wanted to before we kind of wrap up talk to you um, about what your creative therapy has been um, because I think we both uh, find writing quite therapeutic um, and you know for me my newfound drawing experience has been really therapeutic um, and I've seen your art and it's beautiful so yeah what what kind of modalities have you been finding that are creative and both therapeutic? First and foremost definitely cooking. I I'm like 
so I'm such a strong advocate of this, but I think it's also because I have a passion in um, nutrition and and uh, food. But this is honestly a place where at the end of the day, if I go and like cook dinner for me and my flatmate or my mom or my partner or my family, like it's a space where I get to like fully see like the beauty and the abundance of what I can put together from earth, you know, and what I can like really, how I can add different flavors and entice people and create conversations through a meal. And so I love cooking. It is such a reflective process for me. It makes me um, really be able to, uh, I guess, work through my issues through the day when I'm like just cutting up an onion or I'm just like, you know, got my hands like in the spinach and I, I don't really use a lot of utensils when I'm cooking either. I'm very like in there with my hands, you know, I feel really connected to it in that space. So cooking is definitely my number one. Um, writing would be my second. I like, I'm just obsessed with it. I'm just obsessed with writing my thoughts down. I'm obsessed with trying to concrete my values through expression. I'm express, I'm obsessed with stories. I'm just obsessed with how I can write the kind of stories that I want to read. And, and often, you know, when I am writing, I'm writing for myself. Um, you know, I, I did an experiment with a poem that's one of the longest poems I ever wrote, which was writing to my future daughter, which was really powerful um, and a really amazing tool that I, I wrote this poem for her. But what I realized what I, as kind of writing it for my inner child, it was kind of the, the kind of letter I wish that I got when I was a, you know, a young, young girl before I hit puberty. So writing is, is super powerful um, I don't know if you've heard of morning pages before, yes. but they're super powerful. Yeah. Yes. Um, so this is the, you know, stream of consciousness that you write when you wake up. And I love to do this. I, I normally get up in the morning, like roll out of bed. I roll onto my yoga mat and maybe do five minutes of stretching before I put the kettle on. And then I make myself a lemon water. And then I sit down and I do my morning pages, drink my lemon water, and then go into my yoga practice. I need to have that like initial stretch first because otherwise my body's like, huh? Um, and yeah, I guess thirdly would be art. I, I grew up with I'm looking at one of the paintings actually as we're talking, just like I grew up with my mom's artwork, which is like this contemporary indigenous like psychedelic vibe of like women's rights and indigenous issues while highlighting like how beautiful um, nature is. So it's no, it's no wonder I became the woman that I am with all the visual stimulation I had around me. But um, it was very easy for me when I was younger to, to just get a brush and, and paint and start painting because my mom actually her, our house was her studio our, our dining room table was um her creation platform and yeah it was it was really accessible for me and now as I've kind of developed a, a stronger style and gone into more thinking I I really try to I really try to um paint when I'm ovulating because that's when I feel like I can be my my best and it's often when I can actually complete a painting if I'm not in that stage of my cycle I I end up not completing it um and and I really try to use my artwork to convey strong messages um, um again bringing up like taboo and um just kind of trying to invoke conversation around 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 imagery is really important to me. I recently did an artwork, which was basically like a giant flaming yoni, which said like the future is female orgasms written on it. And like also obviously I'm at work in the sexuality space, but that that's really prominent conversation piece that I think should be hanging in a gallery. Like, first of all, don't shame the vagina. Second of all, let's have conversations around why women aren't orgasming and why we do have this uh, real gap between male and female orgasms. So I love that piece. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. I really think, yeah. That, yeah, I think creativity is a marriage between our inner and outer world um, and, and the flow between that. And, you know, art do definitely does influence culture and, and it's an, it's a way and an opportunity for us to, yeah, have real discussions about the things that we're feeling passionate about. 
Um, and yeah, I agree with you. What, a, what an amazing piece. It should be hanging in a gallery. Is it hanging in a gallery yet? Yeah, it's actually hanging in a gallery in Sydney. Um, it was part of the original box, which is uh, um, all Indigenous Mardi Gras exhibition. Beautiful. Yeah, I would love to have you back on the podcast soon because like I said at the beginning I knew this was always going to be lots of content and definitely going to be a two-part series so if you'd be up for it I'd love to have you back again thank you so so much how can people find you and become involved in the work that you're doing so on instagram they can follow me uh ella noah bancroft underscore um they can also email me ellanoahbancroft at gmail.com um they're probably like the two platforms i do have websites for them um mostly for the women's gatherings that i run um up in byron which are called the returning so it's um the returning the gathering.com.au uh and then if people want to find out more about me they can go to we creations at gmail.com y-h-i creation i always like to end the podcast on gratitude um so what are you most grateful for in this moment in your life in the world my gratitude right now is and I think most of the time is honestly, I'm so grateful for nature. I have the privilege of living very close to the beach and also in amongst the trees. And I am so blessed to be as calm as I am because I spend so much time in nature and she sends me messages and she vibrates, but gives me a good vibration and she really energizes me to be the person I am. And I'm, I'm, I'm in so much gratitude of her and I also am in so much service. So whatever I can continue to do to show up as a, as a strong um, ally of hers, I will continue to do. Beautiful. Well, I am in a deep state of gratitude for powerful women like you who are speaking their truth, creating awareness. Um, yeah, I'm just constantly evolving and thank you for the opportunity to have this discussion because I think these discussions are so, so, so important. Um, and thank you for the people that are engaging on the other end and listening to these discussions. And then we'll go and bring this this discourse to their own little circles. And hopefully we'll be sitting around, you know, a campfire one day, all menstruating together <laughs> with the moon and everyone feeling in their power and feeling good. <laughs> Well, thank you, babe. If you didn't do the podcast, you know, we wouldn't have um, a place to put our voices. But really, it's really amazing work that you're doing. And um, you're a really powerful woman too. And I really see you. So thank you.